You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. If you're new with us, we're clicking along through David's life. He's, he's the king. We're in 2 Samuel. But before we get there today, I'm going to ask if you would turn with me to uh, Psalm 39. Um, this text is a text full of betrayal and cursing. You're like, great. What a great Sunday morning discussion. Betrayal and cursing. I, um, I met with this couple this past week. And, you know, kind of here, and I always like to hear the stories of how people came to the church, and this couple was telling me just the overwhelming pain and wounds that they have been through, and really trying to determine how they were going to navigate their life because they were losing all kinds of relationships as a result of the consequences of, of, uh, of marriage decision, decisions um, sexual decisions that happen in the home. And how many know that there's always fallout to our decisions? Like the Lord forgives us, but that doesn't take away all the consequences in this life. It does before the throne of God because the blood of Jesus washes all over, over top of those things. But it doesn't remove all the consequences of what we have to face in this life. And this couple going through that, and then I'm, I was thinking, man, I think I'm preaching about this on Sunday. And, and so I, I, I actually got out the word and I was looking and I'm going, yeah, actually your situation, like you need this Sunday morning coming up because David is getting hit with all of his consequences and, and, and it seems to be coming, you know when the enemy attacks, he kind of comes at you with both barrels blazing. You know, it just seems to, when it rains, it pours. If you've ever experienced the, hard, the heartache of, uh, of, of the fallout of consequences in your life. And, you know, we're studying a story that's 3,000 years old. If, if you're brand new with us, um, King David has gotten into sexual sin. And as a result of that, Nathan the prophet says, look, God's going to forgive your sins. He's not going to take your life, but you are going to... You're gonna actually experience a rebellion that's gonna rise up out of your own house and it's gonna be humiliating for you. And that has occurred. His son Absalom has, because of sexual sin in their family, has carried a vendetta against another brother. That turns into murder. Then it's turned into his dad not doing, King David didn't do anything about that situation. And so there, you know, you, you let things go unpunished. There's a lack of justice. And then what happens is, is people begin to, to doubt your leadership and think they could do a better job. And now Absalom has come to his own sense of, I need to be the king, not my dad. He betrays his dad and takes the kingdom from his father. And so the chapters we've been in are, well, as they're leaving, David is getting hit with more and more of the consequences in his relationships. 
And the thing about studying a 3,000-year-old story is we, when we're doing it in the Bible, we get the benefit of not just hearing the history, but we actually get to hear the prayers and the laments of the heart of David because David writes them in the Psalms. That's unlike almost anything in history we get to experience. So I'm just gonna read this to you because I want you to feel the emotion because the Bible is a true story. And I want you to feel what he's going through. This is Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. While the wicked are in my presence, I was dumb and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me, and while I was musing, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me know, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, thou hast made my days a hand's breath, and my lifetime as nothing in thy sight. Surely every man is at his best, uh, at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they will make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become dumb. I do not open my mouth. Because it is thou who hast done it. Remove thy plague from me. Because of the opposition of thy hand, I am perishing. With reproofs thou dost chasten a man for iniquity. Thou dost consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn thy gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. David is having all these people come to him as he's marching out of Jerusalem and they're some people are going with him and other people are not. He's trying to convince some of them not to go. Other ones, he's like, hey, are you gonna go? Because when a king, a new king would come in, the gates become open. Anybody who stays in the city accepts the kingship of that new king. But if you were to go with David into exile, if you were to go with your king, you're saying, this is my king. I don't have any loyalty towards any new king and I'm willing to go through the hardships with my king. Now that's, that's not something that a lot of people love to do. A lot of people love relationships when they're easy, but when they get difficult, we cut them off. We don't talk to those people anymore. Oh, this one's got too much baggage with it, so I'm just gonna let that one go. And then we get, begin to have some estrangement between families and between friendships. How many have ever lost a, a friendship because there was a whole lot of drama that got involved and you're like, this is just too hard to be a part of this? Yeah. It's sad. And David is under the correction of the Lord and yet under the mercy of God and God is dealing with him. And many times we're going through tough stuff in our life 
And we think God's against us, but God is not against us. He actually may be just allowing that thing to happen to save us. Too many times we want to get out of the hard stuff, but God's using the hard stuff to get us to our knees in front of him. Because that, my friends, is the very highest place you will ever find in your life to be at the feet of Jesus. And anything that drives you there, you might think it's a judgment from God, but it could be the blessing of God in your life. So here David is having to deal with the spirit of rebellion that's all around his life. And look at what happens in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 16. We'll start there. There's a man named Ziba. Now, when David had passed a little while beyond the summit, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, a cluster, uh, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. Now, this land that they're walking is beyond the the summit of the Mount of Olives. So they've come out of Jerusalem. And as they get to that summit, they're going through a territorial divide. It it changes from Judah to Benjamin. And as, as they're going into the land of Benjamin, David comes into what is potentially a little bit of a hostile tribal territory. Remember, when a king gets exiled, not everybody is on his side. Now, if you remember Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was the crippled son of David's former best friend named Jonathan. One of the closest relationships, closest friendships that the Bible ever records was between David and, and Jonathan. And Mephibosheth was this crippled son who David could have killed. He could have wiped out the family of Saul, but he doesn't do it. He instead wants to show mercy on behalf of of, uh, Jonathan, the friendship that they had, he says, is there anybody I could do kindness for? And, and so this man, Ziba, steps up and he says, yeah, there's, there's this son, this crippled son named Phibosheth. And what David does is brings that young man before him and gives him everything back, not just that belonged to his dad, Jonathan, but to his grandfather, Saul, who was the first king of Israel. This unbelievably incredible, generous gift. And then he says, you're not going to eat, you know, over there. You're going to come and be part of my family. And you're going to eat like one of the king's sons because you're my best friend's kid. And every time I look at your face, does my heart good because I see my best friend who I miss desperately. Well, so Ziba meets him and he has, Ziba is, is the, is the servant who's supposed to work on behalf of Mephibosheth. He is, he's a guy who has many sons. He can keep up with all the land and possessions that have been given back by David. And Ziba comes with all of these gifts, and it's awesome. It's like, oh man, look, there are people that are on our side. It was a thoughtful, abundant gift. But the gift is not really of a sincere nature. It actually was meant to gain an audience with King David, who is in flight and he's rushing out of the city. This is, this is the man who was to serve another man. Ziba's job was to serve Mephibosheth, but now he's going to tell a lie about Mephibosheth. Look what he says, a disparaging story. The king said to Ziba, why do you have all these things, Ziba? 
Ziba said, well, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, the bread and the summer fruits for the young men to eat, and the wine is for whoever becomes faint in the wilderness to drink. Man, when you need something desperately and people have the ability to see the need in advance and meet it, doesn't that touch your heart? What, a, what an awesome gift that is. When people minister to your heart and then minister to your family, it is. It does something to you. It brings your guard down concerning that person because that person kind of goes into, that's like a family friend. You would expect the best of these people. And all of this was very well thought out by Ziba. He knows he's flying. He knows he's going to be coming through the area. He knows what he's going to need. He's positioning all this stuff. He knew the needs. And there is a scripture in the Bible that says that when you bring a gift, your gift will make a place for you. It will bring you before kings. That's exactly what's happening here. Ziba's using this gift to get an audience with David. And the king said, well, where is your master? That's Mephibosheth. He says, and Ziba said to the king, behold, he is staying in Jerusalem. Now that, that was the question. Why would he do that? If he's loyal to me, why would he stay in Jerusalem? Watch what Ziba says Mephibosheth is saying. Now, Boy, how many have ever had drama from stories that are told about you that aren't true? And you're like, if they would have just checked out the story. Look at this. He, he said that Mephibosheth said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. That Mephibosheth is saying he's going to become king now that David's getting pushed out. Mephibosheth is crippled. He has no army. He's got nothing, like this is a tall tale. I mean, this is the kid that sat at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Where is that crippled kid? Where is he? What, I, I love that kid, where is he? Couldn't he have got on a donkey? Maybe he could have got on a cart. How come he's not going with me into the wilderness, into my exile? If people are deciding whether they go with the king or stay, then the question of loyalty is coming up. And when, how many of you have ever felt wounded and then, and then it's like you start to interpret things other people are doing through that wound? Very human of us, right? And so he's feeling betrayed by his own son. He's feeling betrayed by all these key leaders. And now he hears this story about Mephibosheth and his mind goes to the worst place. And boy, do we do that. When you feel under attack, you see the next attack is going to come from the closest of hearts. Believing lies at this particular time when you're wounded is an easy thing to do. But that's not the heart of Mephibosheth. He's never had that heart ever. But David can believe a lie told about him. Why would he believe this? Because the idea that another person would betray him is just so easy in that moment because he feels under attack. And so the king says to Ziba, watch him level a judgment quick. So the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours, Ziba. I, and, and Ziba said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O my lord, the king. Now, Ziba did not ask for that. 
in terms of he didn't come out nasty. That's what makes it so deceptive. It's just that David's heart turns. Wow, what a quick judgment to make. You can jump to conclusions very, very easy. You can assume things that aren't true. We all can do this, but be careful to make big decisions when you're wounded without checking it out. David seems like at times he's super wise, and then at times it seems like, what are you doing, man? You couldn't check it out? You couldn't just give Mephibosheth the benefit of the doubt? I mean, the Bible says one side seems right until you hear the other side present their case. That's the power of cross-examination, isn't it, Judge? Right? you got to hear both sides. But he doesn't do that. He just makes this sweeping decision because he feels betrayed. David gives all of Saul's inheritance to a man who was lying about his master. He plays politics and seems to win at it. He benefits through conniving and falsehood. Sounds like days of our lives. But I just want to ask, have you ever been maligned or destroyed by a person who pretended to be your friend? You can't have betrayal if the relationship isn't close. It has to be close. Otherwise, what do you care what that person thinks? It's when they're close to you. Ziba flatters the king, but doesn't doesn't go with David himself. Why didn't Ziba go, okay, I'll take everything he has, but I'm coming out into the wilderness with you. He doesn't do that. He's a, he's a, a backbiter and he's playing the middle and he exercises a worldly wisdom, but not with good character. Ziba is getting away. Notice what he's giving away. He's giving away to David Mephibosheth's stuff. Did any of that stuff belong to Ziba? No, he's giving away someone else's stuff. What do you call that? Socialism. I'm sorry, that's what it is. That's socialism. That's socialism. When you get real generous with other people's stuff, that's not right. That's legalized theft. Betrayal is a hallmark of the spirit of rebellion. Look for betrayal, and you'll see a spirit of rebellion. So he gets done with this situation. He feels, I mean, he already felt low, and now he feels even lower because his best friend's son, in his mind, has just turned on him. It gets worse. Then, when King David came to Bahurim, Behold, there came out a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimea, the son of Gera, and he came out cursing continually as he came. Now, this is a place where actually uh, David had a, uh, his, his first wife, Mike, that's the problem. Did you hear me just say that, a first wife? David had eight wives and 20 kids. You talk about days of our lives, okay? This does not work out well. But this is, this is a place um, where, where Michal uh, was taken away from her husband. There, it's like in, the, in your life, how many have ever seen some amazing ironies come, come about? The Bible is full of ironies. 
And, and in, a, in a place where uh, David had his, his, his first wife's uh, husband taken from him, and now he experiences pain that comes back. When, when the kingdom is pulled from Saul's house and given to David, there's many people that experienced great loss. When a kingdom's pulled apart at the seams, like the way America's being pulled apart right now, how many know we're all feeling that? It's affecting all of our lives. Saul lost the kingdom because of his pride. And this man, Shimea, who's related to him, his name actually means to, to hear. But he's not hearing, he's saying. He's just pouring out all the junk that's inside of him. All the negative feelings he's ever had for David's family. But instead of Instead of listening, this man decides to speak, and he's speaking with an offended spirit because offended spirits are not quiet spirits. They're loud spirits. And they tell stories, and they tell their point of view, even if it's not all correct. This village that they were going through, it was actually called the Young Man's Village. What a sad account of the fact that this, this, this man who's gonna come cursing David this man is known for cursing David. Could you imagine that you had a, a, a child and your child would become known for being a cursing person? No father wants that to be said of his son. When you have a grain of rebellion, how many know a grain grows into a, to a full-grown plant with lots of fruit? A grain of rebellion will turn into a multitude of rebellion. That's what's going on in this man. So he picks up stones and he begins throwing them at David. And as all the servants of the king are there, all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. So imagine they're cursing your leader and you're standing there watching them do this to your king. There are some that will curse and throw stones at God's anointed I was always taught that when it comes to God's anointed, you do, this is the way it was said, touch not the Lord's anointed. Don't touch them. Let God correct them. Don't you try to get involved in that. God hits harder than we do. So just let the Lord deal out correction. But this guy takes it into his own hands that he's gonna curse and throw stones. And all the mighty men are around their king and they're listening to him insult their Lord. Now I can only imagine what they're thinking. Let's just stop this guy. Let's shut his mouth up. They're not getting out of the way. They're all in the, the rocks are probably not perfectly aimed. See, when you stand with your king, you're gonna get hit by some stones too. When you determine, hey, I, this is where I stand. People are gonna throw stones at that position and I'm gonna be hit by that too, but that's where my king stands, so that's where I'm gonna stand. So he's throwing stones. And thus he said, and he cursed, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow. Now David was a man of bloodshed. He was a man of war. He, he was a soldier and of soldiers, the greatest of soldiers. Saul hath killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. This man is a soldier, but was he worthless? Was he a son of Belial, one of the worst kind of uh, curses that could be leveled at you? Was David a wicked man, a rogue? 
This term bloody, how many ever notice we don't say that so much here in America as a, as a curse word, but the English do it. Bloody is, is, is equal with the F word as far as they're concerned. I wonder if that's where this comes from. You're a man of bloodshed. He's laying this on. Now, he did commit murder one time. That's true. He killed Uriah the Hittite, of which he has repented for, and God has allowed him to live. And so in verse eight, it says, the Lord has returned upon you. This is still part of the curse. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed. Here's what Shimei is saying. He goes, my family has experienced bloodshed at your hand, David. God is against you. Your son is against you. I'm against you. And he says, Shimei opposes him to his face. He Really what you do when you attack a leader like this that God has anointed is you attack God. For it was God who put them in their place. You can think however you want to about our leaders, some of which I like and other ones I don't like. But you know we're supposed to pray for all of our leaders? Can you pray for the leaders that you do not like? You regard them as wicked men and women. Do you pray for them? Because we're supposed to. Pray that God changes their heart. Pray that God shows them who he is. Pray that God gets a hold of them and turns them to salvation. Do you know that there's wicked people in the Bible that God changed? Paul the apostle was a wicked man before God changed him. But Shimei, is, he's going after even what God says because God's the one who lifted up that leader. And, and he uses God's name for selfish interests. He judges and he's saying, God's against you. Now, the truth is, is that God is not against David. He's correcting David. David's still his boy. He loves that, that man. He just has to correct him. But this man sees it different and he starts to speak about what God is saying through his own bias. I wanna tell you, we need to be very careful if we say God has said something that God did not say. So many times people say, you know, what is, what is using the Lord's name in vain? Is it just using his, word, his name as a curse word? I do not think you should do that. I would go so far as don't even say, oh my God. Don't, don't even go that far. His name is holy and to be revered. But I think that there is using the Lord's name in vain by saying God is saying something God didn't say. That's exactly, it's part of the curse right here is that Shimei is saying something God didn't say. And I want you to see that cursing is an indicator of a spirit of rebellion. We are Christians and curse words should not come out of our mouth. We have life that comes out of us, but not death. Blessing that comes out of us, not curses. One guy can't take it anymore. His name is Abishai, the son of Zeruah. This is Joab's brother, and Abishai is one of the king's, one of the king's mighty men. 
He says to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over now and I'll cut off his head. I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel. Who was this guy, Abishai? He was one of, he is actually the nephew of King David. He's the older brother of Joab, and they had a younger brother named Asahel who was killed by a man named Abner, who was a Benjamite. You can maybe remember that when we were in 1 Samuel. And these guys were violent guys. Now, they were, they were guys who were loyal to David, but they were violent men. This guy can't take it anymore. And there's part of me that loves when the when a bad guy gets what's coming to him. Am I the only person in the room like that? Are you really, like, like when, when you watch a movie and the bad guy gets it in the end, are you thinking to yourself, I don't even know if that was bad enough. Like, that guy needed to get it worse, right? I could have come up with a worse ending for that guy. Well, Abishai's like, this guy shouldn't live. I, I do admire Abishai's loyalty. But he's not really wanting to restrain. He's going, give me the order and I will take this guy out, David, please. But remember what we read about the emotions of David in Psalm 39 when he was going through all this? He said, I am dumb. I'm not speaking up in the face of the curse. I'm keeping my mouth shut. And I want you to see what, what Abishai is saying is death is the reward of a spirit of rebellion. That's what that guy deserves. How dare he speak up and rebel against the king the way he does? How dare he curse the king? But the king says to Abishai, he goes, hold up, Abishai. Watch this statement. What have I to do with you, sons of Zeruah? That's his sister's name. He regards his sister's sons as, as these guys are like, they're hot-blooded men. They've got hot tempers. He's like, guys, come on. If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? You know, it reminds me, this guy Abishai, almost reminds me of when Jesus was out with his disciples. Do you remember when he's out with his disciples and they want to call down fire on the Samaritans? It's like, Let's fire, let's just, let's just ask fire to come down on that whole Samaritan village. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Did you think that's what I want to happen to the Samaritans? I think that's kind of how he's, he's acting right here. David's acting the same way. By the way, do you know what Jesus named James and John? The sons of thunder. That was not a compliment. He does. you don't know what spirit you're of. David thinks Abishai's too quick to strike back. Boy, how many times do people listen to your woes when you're being cursed and you're being betrayed and the thing they say is, get them back. Let them have it. I understand where your wounded offense is. Let them have it. They shouldn't talk to you that way. And notice that there's a totally different spirit here. And it says, when people tell me to go after them, I'm going to stay quiet. Who knows what God is doing in this situation? Wow. What if God 
is working through the toughest times in your life? What if above it all, the Lord is moving in your life to make you more like Jesus? Then David says to Abishai, to all his servants, behold, my son who came out after me seeks my life. Hey, Absalom, my own kid is cursing me. My own kid is rebelling against me. He seeks my life. How much more this Benjaminite? Of course he doesn't like me. He's from the house of Saul. Let him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him. I'm going to assume God's working in this situation. I'm going to let this happen. David is convinced that God told Shimea to curse him. He's looking for the righteous hand of God. David is actually, by his restraint, showing you that he's actually truly repentant for all of what he has done that has led to the darkness of this hour. In fact, folks, do you remember when David killed Goliath and everybody looks at that as the greatest moment in David's life, his greatest victory? I disagree. I think this is the greatest moment, the greatest victory in David's life. It's the day of restraint. It's the day when he lets the bad stuff happen, puts himself into the hands of God and says, you do as you see fit. I wish there was another way, but your will be done. If this is your will, help me to handle it with the right heart. Watch what he says then, verse 12. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me Instead of this cursing, his cursing this day, he's, he's believing in God for something greater than what he's experiencing right now. When we are at our lowest, when we feel that the curse is coming, do you, to, to, to what Pastor Ross talked about, people lack hope. Do you have hope that God is going to lift you up out of the the worst situation of your life and that he's gonna give you grace and he's gonna change it all around. Do you believe in his goodness on the worst days? Because God's grace to those of us who go looking for it is a guarantee. David does not really truly have a grip on God's grace, but God's grace has a grip on him. The king believed the curse of the spirit of rebellion would be turned on its head. So he, he believed, I believed that this whole thing could turn around. So David and his men went out and Shimea went along the way, a hillside parallel with them. And as he went, he cursed, he cast stones, he threw dust at them. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary and were and he refreshed himself there. We'll end with that verse. Now, stop and think about this. David feels betrayed by the son of his best friend, who he took care of, took care of that young man like he was his own son. He richly blessed him, and yet he still feels that sting of betrayal. Jesus, too, felt betrayed by one of the ones that was closest to him. 
David gave Mephibosheth's land away, but Jesus warned the man of what the betrayal would do to him. Do you remember when Jesus is at the Last Supper and he says, woe to the one who betrays me? He's not casting down a curse upon him. He's telling him what it's gonna cost him. This is gonna be a heavy, heavy price to betray. David is trying to handle the betrayal. Jesus shows how to handle the betrayal. This man who, who came up and would kiss him and betray him. Remember, if there's no closeness, you can't have betrayal. And here, Jesus shows, I can be betrayed and still act correctly. Then the curses. The curses just keep coming all the way while David's walking. This guy continues, man, he's got lots of air to keep those curses coming. And Jesus walked a tough road too, the Via Dolorosa. And as he's going, here's all these people who come out to tell him that he should die and they're leveling their curses, probably throwing stones and dust upon him and, and saying, you thought that you were the Messiah. Curses, curses, curses. And here's Jesus and does he offer a word? No, he is what David said. I was dumb in the midst of the curses. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, and yet I didn't speak up for myself. I didn't open my mouth against my enemy. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. Jesus, though he's being betrayed and he's being cursed, he's suffering with that. Can you, can you feel how much it takes out of you when you're under personal attack? And yet... Jesus just keeps going. He keeps walking. He keeps walking towards the cross. And do you think that Jesus didn't suffer anger? Because it's okay to be angry. The Bible says you're not allowed to sin in your anger. So all that stuff is right here inside of Jesus and he's pushing it down with prayer that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's pushing it back down. He's restraining himself as he continues to put one foot in front of the next foot, in front of the next foot on his way to the cross. I wanna tell you that he bore the curse so you and I don't have to. And if you walk with the king, you are going to endure the same reviling and you're going to, but here's the thing, as you, as you hear these curses leveled against you as a Christian because you're walking with your king, here's what I want you to know. You are blessed. You are blessed because you have fellowship with Christ in his suffering. Those curses and those stones, those accusations for what you believe and you hold fast to, as they are hitting him, they're hitting you, and you're like, I'm here with my king. I go where he goes, and I don't care what they can do to me because he's worth following even to death. I watch how he suffers. He models how to bear those curses. But do you know that the Bible says, one of my favorite verses, a little verse gives me a lot of hope. An ill-deserved curse is not to be feared. It means, did Jesus deserve any of those curses? Not a one. And yet he bore them and he didn't fear them because at the end of the road of cursings comes the resurrection and the life. 
and all the cursings are gonna be rolled back and it's all gonna come to nothing, but his glory is going to be manifested. Those curses have been overcome by the cross and Jesus shows us how we can walk without fear as we walk with the King. When you go through hard stuff, you have fellowship with Christ if you handle it the right way. You can go through hard stuff the wrong way and you'll have heartache. Would you bow your heads with me? I wanna give you an opportunity to just sit and kind of examine your own life right now. I wanna ask you, have you been living under curses that you've been given too much power and you know that you have not handled them in the right way. You have fought back. You have not had the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. You have been combatant in how it's come after you. You've borne those wounds. You continue to bear those wounds. They don't seem to be getting any better. But right now you can take a different posture. You can put the whole thing and say, Lord, I wanna, I wanna give the whole situation to you. I know I didn't do that at first, but now I'm gonna give it to you and I need you to turn the whole thing around for me. I want, to, I want you to be honored by the way that I go through things in my life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of illuminating a situation in your life where you did not handle that situation well, and it's caused a lot of consequences down the line. Would you just raise your hand and say, I, that's me, I've done that. There's hands all over this room. Hey, I'm not here to condemn you at all. Not at all, I've done it too. The question is, are we gonna walk differently in this situation now that we can see the heart of Jesus? Lord, would you forgive us, God? Just with with your heart open to the Lord. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse this situation? Would you turn it around? God, we believe in your grace. You can take the whole thing and turn it around. And if you've been doing something in our lives just to correct our hearts, then God, we submit to your, your fatherly hand of correction in our life. Lord, we wanna be like you. Change us. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come. If you need people to pray for you this morning. You just need, you got a situation that's been heavy on you. It has caused the destruction of relationships. I want to give you an opportunity to pray over that situation. Some of you, you might've heard this message today and you're like, I'm not ever sure I, I've really given my life to Jesus. I mean, this, the way that you're talking about responding, I can't even imagine myself doing that. Well, it'd be very hard to do that without the heart of Christ living inside your chest. But you can have that today. You can, you can be changed. God is in the business of changing wicked men and showing them a good God and then living, seeing, seeing us live like him. You wanna give your life to Jesus today. We're here to do that. If you need prayer for anything, maybe something going on in your life, we're here every single week to pray for you. But let the Holy Spirit do what he does right now in this moment. Just let him work on your heart and then respond to him in obedience. We wanna walk with you. If you give your life to Jesus today, 
tell us and we'll walk with you through that. I want you to stand up on your feet in this place. Let's just keep a, a, a moment of reverence here as we, as we worship the Lord and as people come to receive prayer. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. We give you glory and honor. Change us in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.